Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Hi, I'm Danielle Nishida, and today I'm joined by Laurie Hatton-Boyd to discuss the recent actions we've seen taken by governments with respect to FATCA and the Common Reporting Standard. We have entered the stage in FATCA and CRS where the government enforcement activities have started to rise sharply. Governments have now started to use the data they've been collecting and are initiating outreach to financial institutions to obtain additional information. We're not yet seeing a lot of the full-blown FATCA and CRS audits offshore, but the government outreach taking place now appears to be the predecessor to that phase. On a whole, what we're seeing is governments starting to actively engage in desk audits or soft letters, seeking to gather information regarding FACO and or CRS filings, or more commonly, the lack thereof. And in some cases, to use the lack of filings to pressure test whether the entity should be registered as a financial institution at all. Overall, this current trend appears to focus most heavily on entities registered as financial institutions that do not appear to be doing the level of reporting expected, but in other cases, we are seeing a lot of broad requests going out. So to start with the IRS, the LBNI team recently put out a news release that they have identified sponsoring entities that have been registered on the FATCA portal that have not registered any sponsored FFIs or sponsored direct reporting NFFEs, and thus appear to be not performing their obligations as sponsoring entities. The IRS has indicated that they'll be contacting these sponsoring entities by posting a message on the portal. These entities will have 60 days from the time of notification to respond and establish that they should remain registered as sponsoring entities or the entity sponsoring GIN will be removed. So as an initial reaction to this notice, it's important to point out that not all sponsoring FFIs are required to have sponsored FFIs registered underneath them. In particular, sponsors of certified deemed compliant closely held investment entities will not be required to register the CDC FFIs that they are sponsoring. Trustees of trustee documented trusts are not required to register their trusts. Additionally, some sponsoring entities for sponsored FFIs that are qualifying under Model 1 IGAs and that have no reportable accounts are not required to register the sponsored entities until such time as those sponsored entities have something to report. We have discussed these scenarios with the IRS and they are aware of them. We've heard that further guidance is pending regarding which specific entities will need to respond and how that response will occur. But a couple things to point out, for trustee documented trusts, these entities should be identified as such on the IRS portal if the entities went through the reclassification process when the IRS expanded the portal to the 13 different categories. One of those categories is now a trustee of a trustee documented trust. So the IRS should have the information available to determine that this entity is acting as a trustee and that would explain why there's no entities registered underneath it. So presumably, if the trustee has gone through this reclassification process when it should have, and is now classified appropriately in the system, that should not be a problem and we would not expect this entity to be booted. But if the trustee never went through that process to designate itself as such, they may want to do that immediately to try to avoid further interactions with the IRS. And then presumably the IRS should also be able to determine which sponsoring entities have been performing FATCA reporting for their sponsored entities and should be able to carve those entities out. Though we're not certain whether they're going to look at this, it's hard to imagine that they would actively boot someone who's doing reporting. 
But again, not all sponsoring entities have anything to report. There are many cases where you act as a sponsoring entity just to verify that no reporting is required. So for those cases, the IRS will likely want some form of communication back confirming that the sponsoring entity, in fact, is acting on behalf of other entities and simply is not required to register those other entities. The question is what form this communication is going to take. They are indicating that they're going to notify FFIs through the message boards in their portals. So it is really important that any sponsoring entity that doesn't have registered FFIs underneath it continues to monitor for portal changes. I would be looking at that portal at least once a month. And then as portal changes take a substantial amount of time, we're anticipating a more informal process of messages sent back to the IRS, hopefully just directly through the portal, just confirming the entity status rather than the entity doing some sort of formal certification process. But that remains to be seen. Following up with what Daniel said, unless the sponsoring entity sees some type of formal guidance from the IRS indicating that they don't need to respond or give them information with respect to the fact that they don't need to register any of the sponsored entities, they really need to follow up with any notice that they receive because, again, the IRS has been clear that the risk of not responding to these notices is losing your status. And then, of course, it would lose the status of the sponsoring entity as well as any sponsored entities that it is sponsoring. I think the key thing here is not to panic. The IRS isn't trying to deregister entities that need to be registered on the portal. So they've indicated that this initial notice was really just letting the industry know what they're thinking and what they're considering. They are looking for feedback from the industry. They are responding to it. I think the only thing, as Lori indicated, you just need to be alert and you need to continue to monitor your portal, which you should be doing anyways, but it's particularly crucial during this phase because you don't want to miss this notice. Yeah, I think that's right. And just to one final point on that, the IRS has been pretty clear at, at various conferences and whatnot that they take these notices seriously and they really do take offense when they're not responded to when they're expecting a response. And then we're also seeing additional follow-up guidance regarding the missing U.S. TIN issue. Yeah, so as a reminder, the IRS has previously issued guidance uh, regarding the reporting of these accounts that don't have a U.S. TIN. And they made clear that the FFIs reporting these accounts should not use generic dummy tins because that's going to trigger a notice. But instead, they provided specific guidance, targeted tins, so to speak. So 22222 meant something, 333, et cetera. And it would identify the reason that that particular account holder didn't have a U.S. tin. However, that specific guidance didn't cover all scenarios in which a otherwise compliant FFI might not have a tin. The natural trend then, if you don't have the TIN, was for the FFI to attempt to close the account, assuming it could under local law or the contract it had with the account holder or whatnot, which is what we would expect that the IRS wanted because pursuant to all the guidance, if you don't get the TIN as you're supposed to, you're, you're supposed to move towards closing that account. Now, that said, we do know that Treasury recently issued a letter to the ambassador to the Netherlands, it was late summer, indicating that they would be issuing future guidance on this issue. And specifically, the guidance would provide that if FFIs that didn't have the US-10 as they should, if they would follow whatever procedures were in this particular additional guidance that we're expecting, they would not be considered non-compliant FFIs. Another thing that's interesting in that letter was that Treasury urged the ambassador to let the FFIs in the Netherlands know that they would not want them to close these accounts prior to 
this forthcoming guidance, which is a little surprising because it's it's contrary to the general rule that we've been seeing over these years. So I guess we'll just sit back and wait until we see that guidance and follow up at that time. Yeah, I think that's a surprising but very positive change for out of Treasury. I think that's exactly right, because this no tin issue has been daunting for FFIs that are doing everything that they can to comply, and they've been very concerned about this issue. So yeah, it is a positive turn. And I think that no tin issue has sort of been dominating the last year or two. So it's nice to get a resolution to that, at least in the circumstances where the FFI doesn't have a tin, but didn't do anything wrong. And so now the new trend we're seeing is the request by local jurisdictions for further information or explanations supporting the reporting that was done, or in many cases, the lack of reporting that was done. On prior podcasts, we've gone through the CRS compliance forms that have been required on an annual basis by some jurisdictions, namely the Cayman Islands and Bermuda. These forms require the financial institutions to provide a reconciliation of the accounts that were not reported and the reasons that the reporting was not required. So you're breaking down all of your accounts into various categories to explain why those accounts weren't reported. These governments have also been placing an emphasis on the financial institution having policies and procedures in place and either are required to certify that they have them in place or in some cases actually provide a copy of the policies and procedures. Now, these notices were done across the board. Every financial institution is required to do it on an annual basis that they're located in that jurisdiction. And they're painful and laborious because you have to classify all of your account holders and gather all of this information that you do have in your system, but you may not have had in an automated sense. So if you were doing things manually, it's harder to compile these reports at year end. But the upside of these reports is they're standard reports that you know you're going to have to file and everybody's going to have to file. So you're not merely being singled out but it provides the government with the additional information they might need to determine whether they want to audit you at a later time. In other jurisdictions where they're not doing these standard CRS compliance reports, we're seeing governments now making similar requests through inquiry letters to targeted financial institutions. And in some cases, these letters that they're sending out are asking far more detailed information than what's in that CRS compliance form. So in some cases, it's almost worse because if you do get targeted, you have a lot to respond to and sometimes in narratives rather rather than just providing data. So for example, the UK has started issuing surveys which request that the financial institution provide details regarding the financial institution's documentation process, their onboarding, their due diligence process, how they go about reporting, their governance process. And the responses to these surveys can be a lot more time consuming than just providing the totals for the explanations of the various accounts because you're providing a narrative here. HMRC has also started to issue notices to entities that are registered with GINs but that do not appear to be doing any reporting. These inquiries seem to be focused on verifying that the entity should actually be registered as a financial institution and that the financial institution really didn't have any returns to file. We've seen Singapore issue similar soft letter inquiries for entities that file nil returns in order to establish whether the nil return is appropriate. Similar to the UK, these inquiries include requests for information regarding due diligence procedures for both pre-existing accounts and onboarding procedures, copies of policies and guidelines, i.e. the tax manuals for both new and pre-existing accounts, 
details regarding how the financial institutions are monitoring changes in circumstances, the total number of account holders, and then they also want the financial institution to provide a list of their accounts, kind of classified new versus pre-existing with the statuses and the residencies and the TINs. So there's a lot there and it ends up adding up to more than those CRS compliance forms would have requested. The big trends across the jurisdiction seems to be heavily focused on financial institutions that aren't doing any reporting at all. And I think they're viewing this as the low hanging fruit. So we've seen in Ireland that Revenue has been issuing letters to financial institutions that are filing nil FATCA and CRS returns, asking them to clarify the basis for being considered a financial institution. In some cases, they're asking the financial institutions to share a copy of the analysis under their guidance supporting the classification. They're asking for a breakdown of the financial accounts, again, between the new and existing accounts, and are asking for responses to detailed inquiries regarding how the financial institution's compliance is carried out, the level of training done, the account opening procedures, how the accounts are monitored, how they're making reporting determinations. I noticed the Ireland one in particular is extremely long and extremely detailed. We're seeing similar things coming out of Canada and Germany where they're issuing these soft letters to financial institutions that have registered with GINs but have no FACA reporting done. And so overall, this is the biggest trend we're seeing is all of these soft letters really targeting the financial institutions that aren't doing any reporting and really inquiring whether one, they missed their reporting and two, whether they should really be financial institutions at all. So the takeaway from this is one, if you are one of these financial institutions where you just registered as a financial institution protectively, you're not sure you're supposed to be a financial institution, but you thought a safer and more conservative answer was to just get the gin. It's worth doing a reevaluation whether you should be registered at all. We're hearing that Ireland in particular is making those financial institutions that really aren't FIs go back retroactively and change their filings and deregister back to the date they first registered to change their statuses. So we are getting pushback from governments, making sure that everybody registered is actually a financial institution that is participating the way they should. And if you haven't done any filings, particularly if you missed filings, you want to make sure you're focused on that now and correcting it for the back years. And so this is what we're seeing today. This is the biggest trend. Lori, any thoughts on what we're seeing around the corner? Another trend we're starting to see is government starting to implement detailed administrative penalties, and we're anticipating that this will become more frequent in the future. A couple examples of that is Cayman Islands has issued detailed set of administrative penalties that would apply for certain lower level type failures, late filings, for example, as opposed to that threat of the $50,000 penalty that they had historically Canada also has implemented penalties for late filings, as well as a $2,500 penalty for undocumented accounts. And that is actually a penalty per regime. So it would be $5,000 for each undocumented account. So $2,500 for FATCA and $2,500 for CRS. It's also expected that some full-blown audits will actually be on the horizon in the near future. Canada, for example, has indicated that they are gearing up for FATCA and CRS audits. They're mobilizing groups that will be targeting this in the future, and they've indicated that they hope to have this operationally in place by the end of this year or early 2023. So it looks like we are seeing more robust or more formalistic compliance measures taken by these governments. And Lori, on the U.S. front, we're also seeing the IRS ramp up their FACA audits. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, so we're aware of a major U.S. financial institution that agreed to allow the IRS to review its FATCA compliance as a way for them to help train their examiners to now audit the Chapter 4 compliance. I personally don't know of a specific FATCA exam yet, but the IRS has been very vocal that they will be incorporating Chapter 4 compliance in with their normal 1042 exams going forward. So it looks like 2023 is going to be a really busy year on the FATCA and CRS enforcement front as well. I think that's exactly right. That's great. Lots to look forward to. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of IRW Coffee Break. We look forward to talking with you next time.